Easy 99.1 presents South of Boston, a weekly discussion of the happenings, business, and community events from Quincy to the South Coast and beyond. Any opinions expressed are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the ownership, management, or staff of Easy 99.1. It's South of Boston with your host, Pat Carroll. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Well, Typically, uh, BAMSI helps improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of those in need, including children, youth, adults, and families. BAMSI's programs are varied and comprehensive and include behavioral health and substance abuse, development, intellectual disabilities, autism services, brain injury services, boy, so much, public health and community resources. This was, however, before the pandemic, so I'm speaking with BAMSI CEO Peter Evers to find out how they've managed to navigate the COVID environment. Good morning, Peter. It's nice to meet you. Hi, Pat. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. And and what I said as an introduction, of course, was very general and probably very minimal. So we'll round that out in due time. But for now, we want folks to know how very seriously BAMSI has taken coronavirus. So first of all, I have to ask, is BAMSI an acronym for something? Yes, it is. Uh, and it's interesting you should say that because it actually stands for Brockton Area Multi-Service Inc., uh, which goes back about 45 years uh, when, we were f- when we were founded. Um, we were actually uh, in collaboration with the state agency, Department of Mental Health, and and we've really grown uh, since then and kept that name. But, you know, the, the word Brockton, the, the, the term Brockton in the uh, – in the acronym, acronym mm-hmm. is something we're actually looking at changing because we aren't just in Brockton anymore. And obviously, I'm speaking to you, Pat, uh, and you're in Plymouth, but mm-hmm. we're also, you know, up in uh, we're in Worcester, uh, oh. we're in Tewkesbury, we're in Carver, we're in Plymouth, we're in Taunton, we're in Attlebury. So, we, uh, we our, our geographic reach is is quite far. Yes, but you're really going to have to do some thinking to find something to go along with the rest of the acronym, so good luck well, with that. <laughs> well, you know, we're actually right in the middle of that. I'm glad you asked. Um, and, of course, I can't really say where we're at with it because we're hoping to do a huge reveal ah. in the next month or so about our new branding exercise. So uh, okay. look out for that. <laughs> you betcha. That's exciting. So how does BAMSI normally operate in terms of physical spaces, you know, such as classrooms, meeting rooms, and so forth? How, did you, how were you doing that before COVID? Yeah, it's such a good question. And, uh, you know, I will preface by saying I'm, I have the privilege of uh, working here for uh, a little over a year. So if you put your, uh, your mind to it, I started a week before we went into lockdown oh, uh, in this position. But I've, I've known this agency for a long time. Um, and yes, you're absolutely right. It's, we are a, f- a people-facing organization providing services, you know, hands-on to many people in residential. For example, we have around about 90 different residential homes wow. over uh, eastern uh, Massachusetts, all fully staffed uh, with people, four or five people in each home. Um, and then we, we provide early intervention services, and that's really hands-on with, uh, with, with, you know, with, with the little ones and our women in and children program is also the same, very much hands-on. When the pandemic came, I think we were in the same boat as everybody else. How do we continue to provide services which are so needy to so many vulnerable mm-hmm. people uh, and yet keep everybody safe? Um, and it, 
you know, it, it was different for each program. For those programs that we could go remote with, we did. Uh, I have this vision of being in the office and our computer, our IT folks running around sort of stealing every training laptop they could so they could get them out to people at home so they'd be able to do online therapy. Uh, but just a, a second to sort of think about those essential workers, those folks who couldn't work from home, those folks who were working in the programs, in the resi programs, our direct service folks, our nursing staff, our program managers. They've been amazing heroes during this time. And they've mm -hmm. just, like everybody else, the essential workers have kept this country going through unprecedented times. Yes. Has anything gone back to normal yet, or are you still kind of navigating the new normal, whatever that's yeah, going to be? Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're getting a little bit there, but we're still working on reduced capacity, as you know, as everybody else is. So mm -hmm. we're really, I think the new normal is going to be much more of a hybrid that we'll be providing some services face-to-face. -face. Obviously, our residential, we will, but right. we'll be moving back into our early intervention, our community-based community -based programs. But I think it'll be a hybrid. I think we'll do some of that work remotely because we've been quite successful at it, but there's nothing like being in the same room as somebody in terms of picking up on the nuances of their facial expressions and uh, all of that. And I think we really, really miss that face to face. So I think, I think the new normal will be, what have we learned from this crisis situation? You know, we've, well, I call it forced adoption. You know, we have, <laughs> well, we've talked about using, um, telehealth for years and years and there's always been a reason why we couldn't do it you know privacy mm -hmm. issues which of course are very um, important but when you have to do it you just do it and you say right. oh actually this really works well for some people because they don't have to get in their car or public transportation mm -hmm. and travel miles to a clinic they can actually uh, receive that service um, you know over Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams or whatever people are using. So I think we've learned a lot. I think we can put a lot of that uh, to use. And, you know, somebody said to me the other day, um, I have a new rule that if I'm going to a meeting and the driving there and back from the meeting is longer than the meeting, I'm not going to the meeting. <laughs> I like that. It's a good rule of thumb. I know. I thought, you know, that's a really good idea. And then somebody else said, and we're doing this, let's have a no Zoom day because people are really stressed out by screen stress, uh, which is actually something that's diagnosable now. So the idea of actually taking a day when you don't do Zoom, I think is a very healthy one. It is. We talk about kids with their remote learning if there's too much screen time for them well there's too much screen time for us too i believe that <laughs> yes so you have a new psa campaign or maybe it's not so new but i i believe it is a, it's multilingual how have you been aiding the vaccine push yeah, well, actually, we it, we started um, in the middle of the pandemic working with the city of Brockton on the uh, stop the spread um uh, initiative, which was we our COPE program, which which works with people with uh, HIV and AIDS, actually just converted to a testing site, and we were managed we managed to get you know a few thousand people vaccinated, uh, sorry not vaccinated tested then, <laughs> and uh, as we've moved into um, vaccination, you know we've been really pushing this idea um, about why you should get vaccinated and so one of the staff i was out at one of the programs on friday actually and i said oh have you been vaccinated and the person said no i haven't yet and mm. i said oh, and i thought yet yeah, that's an important word yes um and i said well tell me a little bit about why you didn't uh, and this 
person was a person of color mm-hmm. uh, and they raised significant concerns around trust um, from that community. And, you know, you can't ignore that uh, when there is a long history of mistrust between the government and people of color. Mm-hmm. So it's really, I mean, this person said, well, are you going to make us get vaccinated? And I said, that's the last thing I right. do. There's no way that we can make you mm-hmm. get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is push out information through our PSAs and through our listen and learn sessions mm-hmm. that provide real information and importantly have a dialogue about the benefits um, of being vaccinated and actually the problems if you have a, a significant people in our community who don't get vaccinated um, I always think well you know it's all about incentive and not about uh, um, not about issuing orders we just can't do that but the evidence is there, uh, I think, uh, mm-hmm. just in terms of getting to a point where we have herd immunity, where we have a percentage of people, you know, who are willing to get vaccinated. So it's not getting vaccinated for you. It's getting vaccinated for your family and mm-hmm. for your community. And that's the message that we're p- pushing with everyone. And of course, it keeps our person served safe as well. And 97% of the our person served in our residential homes are now vaccinated. So that's great news. That is great news. I heard you say listen and learn session. I wanted to ask you about that. How, tell me about that. How did, how did they help? How do they help? Yeah, well, it's um, it's funny because, when, like I say, we went into lockdown and people were just really struggling, you know, in each of their divisions. Um, and it was something actually that I'd done in previous in a previous job that I'd had uh, so that the senior management team would go around to the places of business uh, and meet with folks and call them. We started calling them listening sessions, but then we moved into listen and learn because, you get to know how the organization really works by pe- by talking to the people who are doing the actual work. You know, what are the processes that we put in place that make your life easier? How can we how can we describe ourselves as a preferred employer? And the listening and learning sessions really <coughs> began by talking about the pandemic and about people keeping people safe and we would have every month we would have a particular topic and we've been doing that ever since March of last year and we've covered uh, other topics as well we had that um, we had a, a summer of discontent really mm-hmm. with the murder of George Floyd and, oh, yes. you know say their names all of the other ones and we really felt that we had to make a declaration because we're a minor- minority business entity and we have a great deal of diversity in this organization and we knew that many of those folks were really, really struggling with the not only the day-to-day microaggressions that were happening, but what was happening on the news and the, and of course it's happening again with the trial um, right. uh, that's happening at the moment. So we really we we said, look, you know, we've we'll, we'll form a uh, race and social justice committee. Everybody's welcome. Let's you know have conversations about where racism lives and let's attack it. Um, and they were great sessions. People really had the opportunity to say what was on their mind. And you know what we did? We looked at some of our policies and said, there's probably you know policies that need need to be changed, like our bereavement policy, for instance, and and our holiday policy, um, those kind of things. So those sessions really throw up 
issues that are on people's minds so that we can have an open discussion about them. And I enjoy them very much, but mm. they've all been Zoom, obviously. Yes. Um, but we'll move, I think in the new normal, we'll, we'll start moving into having those face-to-face as well. Well, Peter, it's fabulous because you're, you, as an organization, BAMSI's been proactive and reactive. So, you know, that's fantastic. Um, let's talk about your essential workers. Why are there significant workforce issues in healthcare generally, but particularly particularly in the areas that BAMSI specializes in? Yeah, I think that's a really complex question, but there's some really simple solutions to that, <laughs> if you ask me. And, you know, if my feeling is that there are so many essential workers, you know, it certainly was not the billionaires that went to work, uh, you know, during that time, it was those people that were working in grocery stores and people working in hospitals. And of course, the precious essential workers of of BAMSI who were turning up day in, day out, they were, you know, they were going to live in so that we could protect people in infection. And so folks would literally work 24 hours a day for two weeks. And then some of them go and went into hotels so that they could get tested uh, make sure they were negative before they went back to their parents. I mean, it's that kind of dedication that, right. that happens here. Um, but unfortunately, uh, over time, you know, these kind of jobs have not been recognized in the contracts uh, that are offered by the state. And so it really prohibits our ability to pay people what is a fair and, and living wage. And mm. we have to fight that battle. The, there has to be advocacy done. And my feeling is, Right now, more than ever, after a year where those folks have kept this country running, we need not only to be, you know, looking at hero pay, but we need to look at a, a, a contracts with a, with our state and with federal government that actually are good enough so that people don't have to work two full time jobs to be able to pay the rent and feed feed their families. Um, and so, you know, that has been traditionally a problem. We do have vacancies. We have a lot of vacancies um, in our homes in Carver and and Plimpton and and Plymouth as well. Um, And that's, you know, partly due to the fact that, um, you know, that's a uh, economically better off uh, area and it is difficult to get people to work for a low wage to Mm -hmm. sustain, you know, living in that area. So the essential campaign was really directed at people to say, have you thought about a job at Bamsey, not just filling the third shift on a Thursday, but seeing this as a career mm. uh, move, seeing as this as the portal to a long career in human services, which actually is how I got started. I started in residential work and I sort of got the bug of, of helping people um, and ended up going and, and getting a qualification actually in the UK uh, and then moving over here. There are so many possibilities uh, for people and it's really not as I say, not just selling that idea of coming to work for 40 hours a week, but coming to work uh, to develop and build a career. Uh, And we've also been looking at uh, other groups of folks. Um, I did orientation this morning, the welcome to all of our staff. And three of those staff had been working in in careers and they had retired um, from state government and from a couple of other places. And they still wanted to give and they still wanted to work with uh, other other folks so they are coming back to work uh, part-time post-retirement and there's a growing group of people who are really interested in doing that at the moment 
Well, it sounds like a fantastic place to work. So um, to, to get back to the, your mission, um, your scope of work and programs offered is massive. Um, how, let's dig in. How would you like to start and let us know about what actually happens there? Sure. Um, well, you know, when we when we started, you know, it was just sort of a couple of homes and a, a couple of community services, and it's just grown um, over the last forty years with the previous leadership, who really believed that we had uh, a product, if you like, that was that was second to none, and we grew that uh, a big part of the business in the residential side. Um, with people with developmental disabilities uh, who had medical problems. So we are the primary uh, provider in the state who who provides 24-hour care with nursing to people um, with medical com- uh, compromised medically some of which actually I was up the Shore Road in Worcester on Friday where everybody in that house is on a vent so mm. we need 24-hour nursing mm. and the, the care and the love that you see when you're in the when, when you're in those houses is just extraordinary. In fact, one of the workers said, "You know, I, I I've been here for five years now, and this these people are my family, and mm-hmm. I am that close to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see it. You can see it in the bonding. Mm-hmm. Those relationships is so important that we have people who have longevity in the job because that's where those relationships are made. But as we've grown on the other side, we've been developing uh, care coordination uh, for families in our communities. We've, we have a clinic uh, where we see people who have um, mental health um, issues, uh, where we'll see people for weekly therapy. Uh, and then we're very much involved in the state's um, uh, work with providing community services for children as well who have um, severe emotional disturbance. Um, we have a, a child advocacy center for uh, children who are in the um, criminal justice system by way of their survivors of uh, sexual and physical abuse um, and, and, and in Brockton for Plymouth County. So this is an agency, I would say, Pat, that's a, that, is, that is big enough to um, look at all of these opportunities and provide these programs, but make sure that they're tied together somehow. Yeah. Make sure that they have a consistency of communication, that our quality um, and improvement department are constantly looking at the way we're providing care because our business changes a lot. You know, we, we're an emerging, it's not like we're the accountancy profession. We're learning mm-hmm. um, continually about best practices and ways to provide services. And that goes, you know, from, as I said, the early intervention and WIC program that I was mentioning before, Mm -hmm. um, all the way through to working with seniors in some of the um, uh, towers in Brockton, uh, where people often live live out their lives in quiet loneliness and we know that loneliness with the with elders and actually not just elders but many people um, is a real problem and contributes I think to early mortality and so you know when we see the need for a service at BAMSI we really are the go-to agency for somebody to say do you think you could fit this in and you know we make those decisions based on need in the community of course um, and whether whether it fits into our remit of a human service agency and and I'm really proud to sort of be um, a part of an agency that 
covers such a large waterfront of uh, of humanity um, and you know relieving of human suffering. Well, I can absolutely hear the pride in your voice, and so it's it's marvelous. And I have to laugh when you said people living in towers. Um, I'm here at the radio station. I thought of radio towers. <laughs> oh no, that's awful. <laughs> you realize that? I realize that's an apartment complex of sorts. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. That, oh no, that might have been that's okay. Uh, my English slipping in. <laughs> now, how has COVID affected the collective mental health of uh, Commonwealth residents? Yeah, I think we're beginning to see that. I think we knew, um, you know, we know that in our in this country, you know, one in one in four, one in five people uh, struggle with mental illness. And you know, I always begin these conversations by saying it is very unusual for a few human being to go through the life cycle uh, without experiencing some emotional disruption or mental illness. There's no question about it. You know, depression is a part of life for a lot of people. Um, and when you say it like that, you begin to normalize things a little mm-hmm. bit and then you address some of the stigma that exists in our society about people who struggle with mental illness. You know, I'm, I'm going to say something that it, it seems counterintuitive, but maybe um, this last year has introduced a lot of people to something that they think mo- you know other people get. I think there's been a collective mm-hmm. um, stress uh, that is that is really depressing people. We as human beings strive for contact. Uh, it really distinguishes us from all the other animals. We right. we're pack animals. We need mm-hmm. to be with each other, uh, and we just haven't been allowed to do that or able to do that as much as we'd want to. And it's having an effect on people. There is a low, I believe, there's a low level depression around the continuing pandemic. I think when it started, people were going, okay, we can buckle down. It's sort of that, as we would call it in England, the Dunkirk spirit, we can get Mm -hmm. through this. But a a year later, when we're still struggling with that, when we can't do the things we want to do, you know, when we can't travel to a different state to see uh, an elder relative, the number of people who have passed away this year, um, and we haven't been able to have proper rituals and funerals for, it just bears down on us as a people because that's how we exist. We exist with each other. Um, And we need to, I read something that the other day that said, you know, practice universal precautions of kindness. And that is, you don't know the story of the person you're in front of. So just assume that that person is vulnerable and be tender and just care for people because we should be doing that anyway, but yes. at a time like this, when we're so stressed and we all have a story to tell about loss, uh, you know, whether it be the, you know, the kids that are in college that haven't been able to have the college experience, right. um, or as in in my family, uh, my mother-in-law passed in the middle of the uh, epidemic, and we haven't had a service for oh, her yet so because sorry. we haven't been. But there are. Thank you. There's so many stories like that. And we just need to be able to listen to each other's stories and affirm that this has been very difficult for us. But also know that, you know, if we pull together, we're going to get through this and we're going to learn from it. um, And, you know, we will we'll get through it. And we have to be optimistic as well as recognizing that it's been really, really hard for people. Oh, such kind words, Peter. It's so, so wonderful to hear. You know, it's it's uplifting and inspirational and just, just wonderful. Um, it's been said that Bamsey is a leader in racial justice and equality. How so? 
Well, I think, you know, for years and years, we've been uh, an organization who um, has had a rich um, mix of diversity in the, in the in the workforce, um, I, you know, on my uh, on the orientation, that my piece of orientation is I welcome everybody and say to them, really, you're the fresh eyes of this agency, and you need if you see something. Or actually, I said this: if somebody, if you say why did you do that, and somebody says we've always done it that way, <laughs> it's wrong. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and those fresh eyes see a different way of doing things. Then let's let's talk about it. But in that group, I would say that seventy percent of those folks were people of color. And there were also people that were coming from different countries. In fact, we're doing a project now where we've got a globe and we, there's, a, there's a, uh, a note of where everybody in this agency comes from on this globe. So, you know, you get people from, from Africa, from, uh, uh, from China, from Vietnam, from Europe. Um, and, and it's just so wonderful to see uh, that we are um, an agency that hires people from all over the world with this blend of cultures and mm-hmm. knowledge. And it's just this wonderful situation. But I think we've got lots to learn. And I think when you say you're a leader in uh, uh, racial and social justice, you're actually putting your hands up and say, mm-hmm. well, let's uh, examine our own racism. Let's examine any potential systemic uh, racism that might exist within the organization and change it. And let's be mindful about it and purposeful about saying we need to change the balance of uh, the, the, the racial mix of leadership and, um, and the whole agency so that those things match. And we're providing services to people from different cultures with people from the same culture. And, and, and all of those things, I think, lead to continual commitment to improving to strive to be the best that we can relative to this issue because uh, we'll never be perfect. There's no question about that. But as long as we're asking the question, as long as we're leaving lines of communication open that allow people to have their say, and as long as we're celebrating difference in terms of everything that we do, um, then we're having a proper conversation about it. We're not shutting people off. Right. Um, and like I say, we have work to do, but I really do think that this staff has really recognized this year, and I'm sure before, but you know, I've been here for a year, has recognized the importance of that equity uh, and equality that we're pushing here at BAMSI. So, Peter, what would you like people to know, folks to know about BAMSI that maybe we haven't or you haven't put out there yet in the next you know, minute or so as we get kind of close here? Um, what, what would you like folks to know about BAMSI? Well, uh, Pat, I just want to thank you, first of all, for allowing me to come and, and speak about something I care deeply uh-huh. about um, and, uh, and, and get that message out. But I think I think what I'd like people to know is that this is an organization that has a very big heart. This is an organization that doesn't just look at the bottom line, although we have to look at the bottom line, (laughs) but we look at the lives that we uh, are involved in. We help people to be the best that they can be. We like to think of ourselves as leveraging potential in every human being that we work with. And that goes for the staff as well. And I my pledge is that we're we're a preferred employer because everybody that comes to work for us is precious and everybody has a future at BAMSI. 
Um, and if people are listening to this, I would encourage them to sort of look at our BAMSI.org is our website, B-A-M-S-I.org, uh, and have a look at what the um, vacancies that we have. Uh, and, but look at the breadth of services that we provide. There are very few agencies in this state that cover so much territory in terms of the services that we provide. Well, so for more information on BAMSI and how they can help you or someone you love, Peter, talk us out with some contact information because I think we all enjoy listening to your voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're very kind. Um, yeah, so the, the, the main portal for pretty much everything, and just to keep it simple, is that website, which is BAMSI, B-A-M-S-I, Org. And there you will find a list of all the programs that we have, a list of the vacancies that we have. Uh, and then look at, uh, have a look and see uh, our board of directors uh, and our leadership team and their bios. And um, uh, I think that's a really good place to start an introduction to our wonderful agency. Well, Peter, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure meeting with you and talking with you. And, uh, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. And I hope to talk with you again sometime. I do too. Thank you so much, Pat. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. South of Boston is presented weekly at this time on Easy 99.1. Any reproduction or use of this program without the expressed written permission of Easy 99.1 is prohibited. Join us next Sunday morning for South of Boston, a public affairs presentation of Easy 99.1.